Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Lance, and today we're doing something a little different. Our good friend Jeremy from over at The Geekly Grind, and who you will recognize from our episodes on Die, as well as Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, uh, had the opportunity to actually interview Kyle Higgins. Now, interestingly enough, it worked out that we had just released our episode on Power Rangers, where Kyle Higgins actually started as author for the 2016 Power Ranger run. Now, this interview covers a wide variety of topics, ranging from a recent con that Kyle was able to attend, to his incredible series Radiant Black, some of his work over at Marvel, DC, the creator-owned space, as well as promoting his new series, Ordinary Gods. Take a listen to this incredible interview with Kyle Higgins. And good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're joining us. Um, I, this is a very special episode of Comic Book Keepers, where uh, I, Mithrendil, I'm taking some time with the one and only Kyle Higgins. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. I, uh, I apologize in advance. Usually my sound quality is much better than what it probably is today, but I'm back in Illinois at my parents' house. and Oh, finding, no worries. Finding working Wi-Fi was 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 a battle unto itself but finding a, a working microphone is uh that, that, <laughs> that i might have to live to to fight that battle another day yeah well actually you sound pretty good uh the audio sounds pretty good. good so i wouldn't i wouldn't stress too much about it but thank you for for navigating your way to the internet today to to chat uh to chat with us so um so it's my understanding because we were chatting a little bit getting this set up and and you had mentioned that you attended a convention recently in this sort of brave new world that we're in so to kick to kick us off what con was that and and what was that experience like well it was the convention up in washington washington state i believe it's called washington summer con and it's something that only really got put together probably a month like in in reality probably only a month before um they actually did it i think because of you know they had to wait to get a green light um from yeah. the state and everything but honestly it was it was a lot of fun i mean it wasn't it was like a really good first show back like it it wasn't you know a massive crowd but it was it was there were a lot of people there were far more vendors than i think we were all expecting um so yeah i I had a great time and and um you know i got this i got to see some people i hadn't seen in a long time and um, eric stevenson's publisher of image came up for the day and so went and had dinner and talked about all the insane plans uh, coming up on uh, radiant black and ordinary gods. So all in all, and it was like the, it was like two nights before the longest day of the year. So like I ended up out in, uh, in Tacoma, like, and it was just like having dinner, having, it was just like a three hour sunset, like over Uh the ocean. It was amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it was a really, really nice, um, it was a really great time. It was a great show. Tons of space. I, I highly recommend it next year if anyone's looking for a Pacific Northwest uh, convention to hit up. Awesome. A new, new cons to add to to people's uh, tour. I'm That's sure. just what we need, uh, right? More cons. Yeah. <laughs> More cons. Uh, I mean, especially going into this next year, I think people are going to 
probably be be going out of their way to content normally they wouldn't have but now they're like yeah i'm gonna go anywhere i can <laughs> so <laughs> um i love it i love it so you mentioned uh you you connected with uh image around radiant black obviously you've been very busy uh with radiant black uh lately so uh, before we dive into ordinary gods which is, new, uh, which is your new project what have been some of your takeaways uh in crafting the or the radiant black story so what are some things maybe in, in putting it together and um, publishing it maybe that you've you've really enjoyed oh uh, that's a good question I, I think the I think the biggest one is that we're able to do we're able to do things the way we want to do them and I guess I guess the best way to kind of um, contextualize that is that uh, you know we're not doing anything on radiant black that's wildly different than what I've done on other creator owned books. Well, <laughs> maybe that's not, maybe that's not true. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just going to say on books kind of across the board. Um, it, it's interesting. I kind of always go into a project with the big blue sky version kind of in my head. And, and even if it's just an initial concept or take, like inevitably as I talk about it, as I work on it, I, uh, it's like the film director side of my brain kicks in and the producer side and it's like, ooh, but wouldn't it be cool if we could do that? Oh, wouldn't it be cool on Power Rangers? Like, oh God, wouldn't it be cool to do a live action promo and surprise drop it, like a like a few days before the issue comes out, where yeah. we, you know that kicks off the event and it all works together. And we'll shoot with, you know, I'll do it with with Jason David Frank, the original Green Ranger, and stuff like that. You know, um, I will say that as my career has gone on those things have become, um, they've gotten, I don't want to say necessarily easier to do, but they've gotten less complicated from like an approvals process. Right, so, right, right. I mean, they, they, they know that you can do it, right? Like as you've grown in well, different titles, right? Like they're like, sure. Like why wouldn't we let Kyle Higgins do whatever he wants? I like, mean, some think that way and, and well, I wish more people would let Kyle Higgins do whatever he wants, but uh, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it, it's each each book is different, each experience, and each job honestly is different. So, like doing, it's funny. I was talking about the New Fifty Two on Twitter the other day because I guess it was the ten year anniversary. I think that's why people were talking about it. Yeah, um, I saw that I'm, trending too. I'm like, where, where did this come from? But I'm uh, pretty but yeah, sure. Continue. I'm pretty sure it was the 10 year anniversary of the New Fifty Two being announced because mm. I remember being in New York in may and june yeah i think it was that but in may and june for gates of gotham and then i ended up back in chicago for a few weeks and i remember they announced it in while i was in chicago but i'd only gotten the nightwing book like a week earlier like while i was in new york like it was really wild like the timeline on it all so um you know, on a book like that, a project like that, like I had a ton of big ideas and things that would potentially be cool for outside media, but there's so much bureaucracy tied up in something like that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, um, or maybe bureaucracy isn't the right word, but, uh, well, no, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the new 52, yeah. there was a lot of bureaucracy in politics. So I was also yeah. a brand new writer. So it's like just trying to get the book just trying to finish the book and, and, and make it good was very, very challenging just with being a new writer, but also the climate that was um, surrounding everything at that time. By the time I got to Power Rangers, it was easier to do, 
some of that stuff, like I said, the short film, but even that was quite a bit of a process of getting it approved and put together and stuff like that. So then you get to Radiant Black and, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in between there that we did some cool stuff for. But with Radiant Black, it's like, hey, this is what we want to do it. This is what we want to do. And I want to use social media this way. And we're going to plan all of this stuff. And we've got this cool website and all the covers are available through it. And just all of these things that, in my opinion, is how you should be selling comics in the year 2021. Um, yeah, it's a to. ton of work, but that's yeah. the best part about doing a book at image is like, you're in control as the creator and you're calling the shots and, um, it's your book, you know? So Marcelo, Michael, and I build all this stuff. And, and, um, I also feel a, a pretty big responsibility when it comes to doing not only a creator owned book, but a creator owned superhero book to take really big swings mm-hmm. and to do things that are different. Um, and to, hopefully subvert expectations where I'm able to. Um, there's a lot of content on the stands just in the industry in general. And there's a lot of superhero content, but there yeah. is not very much superhero content where truly anything can happen. And Radiant Black is one of those books. Yeah. And, and, and the image boom, a lot of the independent um, publishers are, are allowing that space, right. For creators to breathe. I think as you've sort of been talking about, which is awesome. Uh, yes um, and no. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, there are a whole lot of publishers out there that purport themselves to be, you know, um, you know, for, for creators and in creators interests and creators Mm -hmm. rights. And a lot of those publishers, honestly, it's bullshit. It really is. I mean, a lot of those, there are a lot of publishers out there that are, that are, that are, that exist in the quote unquote creator owned space. And, uh, those contracts are borderline predatory in my opinion. So I'm not a lawyer, so that's not a legal opinion, right. but um, I'm a comic book creator who's been doing this for 10 years now, full time. Yeah. And um, that's the thing is like, so I noticed, that, I, mm-hmm. I noticed that you seem very passionate about that. And this was actually a, a question for later in the interview, but sure. might as well bring it up now. Cause we're kind of segueing into it. Like you, you seem very passionate about, you know, supporting new writers and creators in the industry, uh, particularly when it comes to safeguarding their intellectual property and, and these contracts. Yes. Um, and you know, it's, yeah. it sounds like this is a common mistake that you see with new creators. So, uh, you know, aside, it, you know, I, I've seen some of your posts on, on, you know, on Twitter and social media in terms of like, Hey, like, make sure you're looking at contracts, make sure you're, you know, bringing in legal help when you need it. Right. Like, cause like you said, you're not a lawyer, but you know that, you know, a predatory contract when you see one. Right. Um, but how do you generally, like, what's your, what's your recommendation to, to creators that are trying to break into this space when there are so many options for yeah. quote unquote it's- independent creators now? I was just talking to someone about this the other day. It's it's really tricky and, and it's not uh, an enviable position um, to be in as a, as a new creator in that we, there are so many publishers out there now. Um, on the one hand, you go, okay, I, you know, as a new creator, you go through whatever door or even window that opens for you or cracks a little or cracks. Know. Yeah. There's like, a, there's a brick in the, in the wood paneling that you squeeze through on the side of the bar. I, I am right. very, I am very, very empathetic to, to that. And I went through that. I, I, you know, I, I came up, you know, I had a little bit of a different path in that I started writing at Marvel first, like the first comic book I ever, first comic book script I ever wrote was an issue of Captain America. That's a very privileged kind of lucky position to be in. And it came because yeah. of a film I directed, mm-hmm. but even still, you know, 
it, it was a year of pitching before I landed a one shot. And it was probably about 20 stories I wrote in full as outlines before landing a one shot. And then it was another year before the next issue, which was an Avengers one shot. And then after that, it was that issue didn't come out for two years. So then it was like Gates of Gotham, New 52 stuff. Okay. So like I, I was coming up through kind of like the work for hire space, um, in particular Marvel and DC. Um, so when it came, when I was ready to, to try to do creator own stuff, it was a little easier to, you know, get on images radar, for example. But the problem is when say you're coming up and there's a publisher that is offering to publish your thing, maybe image turned you down or didn't get back to you or, um, or, or it's just not the right fit. And so then it becomes like, okay, well, I want to get this made. Well, the options start to diminish a bit there as far as um, maybe it gets made right now, but in the long run, you know, I, I've heard Kirkman say before, like you can't pick your hits and that's very true. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, there was a situation that, um, that came up a few weeks ago that some creators reached out to me for some advice on. And I just looked at the situation and it was like, you know, I recommended my lawyer. Because it was like, this is insane. This is straight up insane. And what these, what this publisher is trying to do and what they're saying to you and what they're, oh my God, like you need to run far away from this. And they wanted right. to. And, and yeah. so it's like, um, that's, that's the tough spot is that if you're coming up, like, I guess, I guess if I had to really boil it down, um, don't sign anything without a lawyer looking at it and make sure you understand what you're signing especially as it relates to um, the intellectual property, um, ownership, and what's really important, but people don't think about a lot of times is business control. So if you're doing a book with a publisher and it's a co-creator owned book in that the publisher owns at least 50% of it, nine times out of 10, that that publisher is also asking for business control, meaning they can turn around and try to sell or option the rights uh, for a film or a TV show without your involvement. Um, right. They they'll play. They may play nice and say like, "Oh, they want to consult with you and they want to you know keep you in the loop, etc." But at the end of the day, you know, let me put it this way: if you have any aspirations to write for film or TV um, or to adapt your own work, just in, just across the board in any other medium to adapt your own work. The book is your, the book is equity. The book that you create is equity for you. Right. And when you give that away, um, they have absolutely no reason to keep you involved. And also keep in mind that most of the money when it comes to ancillary media, that's the only money that's guaranteed is the option money. If you're splitting that option money and they're deducting your page rates from that option money, as they, they you know, what, what would it be called? Like cross collateralize or cross amortize or amortize their expenses, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. it, it gets real pennies. You get, you, you get, get not, yeah. not only do you get pennies, but then there, somebody's going to get paid, you know, $200,000 to go adapt your stuff. Right. And it is, and it isn't going to be you. Um, on the, on the flip side, you know, the argument from those publishers is like, well, we have to control this stuff because otherwise we don't make money and we have to be tied into this stuff. It's like, well, then sell, sell more books. Like what exactly is your business model? Because what I see is a lot of these publishers trying to be um, movie producers, basically. And, and the right, publishing is like, right. 
it's like everybody's chasing this, uh, this, they're chasing their tail and chasing this trend of like IP. Uh, well, it's not, IP is not a trend, but um, yeah. So I, I just. Getting, getting um, content option. I mean, like, you know, we, we've got like Sweet Tooth. We've got like, there's so many, and it, it's interesting because, you know, obviously I've, uh, it's, my comic obsession is relatively new. Uh, you likely don't know this about me, but it's pretty new. I've only really started actively collecting comics since like August of last year. Um, and I think it's super interesting because in a lot of the conversations that I'm having in discussion groups and everything else that I've, I've found myself in because, you know, sell comics on the side and stuff like that is like every other series seems to be getting optioned these days. Right. And I, I find it so fascinating tying into like what we're talking about now, because, you know, it does seem to be happening a lot. But what it sounds like you're saying is well, there's nothing new there. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just the volume of it. I don't know. It just seems like a, a, there's a lot more, you know series that are getting adapted but maybe it's just because i'm in that space now. yeah but how but, i mean would those, you would you notice that trend but how many of those are getting made right are they just getting optioned and then people yeah talk that's about the thing five like, years and it disappears an option doesn't mean anything i mean it does but not not in a meaningful way it means that someone has put in probably i would go out on a limb if they're if they're a reputable company and it wasn't a bidding war they probably paid ten thousand dollars for a year for the rights for a year Sure. So they're exploring it. Yeah, that's that's the thing. And that's why you do see a lot of these upstart publishers, for example, where, you know, they come in with with a big kind of splashy, flashy presentation. But when you actually get into like what the right situation is, um, they're really, you know, even if the book only sells a few thousand copies, like they're already out there trying to hawk it as a movie or a TV show because- Right. That's that is the the double edged sword um, as far as intellectual property goes. Uh, and what I mean by that is, like, I live in Los Angeles. I write and direct. Like, I'm gonna go. I'm finally shooting my first feature actually in like February or March. Like, we like oh, congratulations. We've got we've got a, a big movie star and and the the funding for the film. And and again, I've been trying to direct my first feature for like twelve years. So it's finally finally doing it. Um, but the thing is like, just from my own experiences, but also from plenty of friends experiences, like going out and writing a spec feature or a pilot on spec. And by spec, I mean, speculative, it means you're writing it for free, right? Going out and writing something like that and it not being based on a piece of existing material is much harder to sell than if it's based on a piece of existing material. So intellectual right. property. Yeah. So the underlying intellectual property becomes very valuable because everybody's trying to cover their ass and every exact producer, studio, etc. A project is deemed more valuable if it's based on something that's already been proofed out. Um, now, on the one hand, you I, where a lot of this comes from starts, or my theory anyway, is like, you look at things like Harry Potter and it's like, of course, like a pre-existing fan base, that makes a lot of sense to do an adaptation of something that has a pre that's already existed in one form as novels and has this pre-existing fan base you tap into, et cetera. But like we are, we're, we're out of Harry Potter's like <laughs> we are far yeah. down the rung of, you know, they're trying to make, they made a movie out of Battleship uh, 10 yeah. years ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anything that's new and anything that is, you know, potentially exciting um, particularly as a comic book, 
tends to be very attractive um, if the right people are, you know, putting it out there uh, for for uh, around town. I mean, like producers. Yeah, and ten thousand bucks is peanuts, right? Like ten thousand bucks for some of these big studios. It's like, yeah, we'll we'll put like a, a placeholder on this maybe in case we want to make something like that. But they're seeing this this uh, this wealth of uh, you know options, right? That's exactly what it's about. Well, it's an option to be see, able to do I, it. I, I don't know. I mean, nobody, people just, they're just not buying specs in the same mm. way that they used to. Like that market is, some people say it's dead, but I, I do know people who have sold stuff, but they're like uh, original stuff, but they have become kind of a brand unto themselves as screenwriters, right. you know? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's tricky, but basically to bring it all back home. Yes, I am. I am very passionate about that. Um, and you know, I've, I've gone through stages in my career where looking back, I got completely screwed and I don't want that to happen to other people, you know, not, not on this stuff. Um, I've, I've never done a creator owned, um, outside of image. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I've optioned, I've optioned some stuff where I look at it and it's like, yeah, I wish I, wish I would have, wish I could pull that one back because nothing came of it except for the fact that somebody else got paid a bunch of money, um, to adapt it when, you know, we could have done it ourselves. And that's a, that, and the, and the thing is like from their perspective, from a producer and a studio's perspective, they're not excited about a comic book creator adapting their own stuff because it's like, well, that's maybe that, you know, if you think about it in like a baseball analogy, it's like, well, maybe they, maybe they make contact at the plate, you know, but like, right. are they actually right. getting on base? You know, you need to hit a You need to hit a triple basically in order for a project to be like to get to the next rung um, as, as far as like perception and what it is and the talent attached. Cause you're trying to put, they're trying to put together a package that is that you, that, you know, a network or a, or a studio just can't say no to, you know? Right. Right. And, and usually a comic book creator adapting their own stuff is not that attractive. Part of that package. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I've seen, I've seen creators, I've seen pretty, you know, I've seen higher end creators start doing something that uh, higher end is the wrong word. I just mean like creators who you would know their name um, right. and, and they're they're quite significant in our industry and they've started co-writing pilots. So they say, well, you want my book, you want my image series. Um, well, I'm not going to option it unless I'm, I'm co-writing the pilot. So go out and find whatever showrunner you want. They just have to be cool with co-writing the pilot with me. That locks them into the money on the pilot. It also locks them in in a stronger position as, as a, you know, from an executive producer standpoint. Um, but it's, and so there are ways to compromise on that. Um, but again, if you've signed a deal with a publisher and they're gonna, you know, own 50% of the, the copyright or at least the, the, the IP and, um, and they're going to have business control. Well, you're never even going to be able to make that kind of uh, request because they're going to be out there trying to shop it just free and clear. Yeah, yeah, and they won't have to involve you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, all that business aside, let's talk about something fresh and new and exciting, uh, which is uh, this week uh, you've got a new series uh, coming out called Ordinary Gods. Yeah. Uh, which is a story that follows a young man named Christopher who is reluctant to accept his true identity and calling as a god. Um, a couple months ago, you shared with Sci Fi Wire that you've been working on this title for many years in collaboration with numerous artistic partners. So it's been a long time running. Um, 
And I definitely picked up some influences and some inspirations in, in reading the preview, but where did the spark for this come from? Would you say what, what made you think however many years ago, like, yes, this is a story that I want to put together and, and maybe why has it taken so long to get it, to get it where it is now? <laughs> you know, the, the, the true, the truth is this was, this has been a long time. Like, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think this idea was the first one I pitched Eric Stevenson like 10 years ago as I was building out maybe a little less, maybe, maybe eight, eight or nine years ago, but still yeah. it was still it was early on in your creative yeah. career. Yeah. 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 And, um, and he really, he liked it immediately, but it took for, I mean, it took quite a while to come to the point where we were ready to make it. And that's for a couple different reasons. Um, but what I can say is like, I remember being, I was here, I was back in, in Illinois, like staying with my parents for, you know, a week or two, probably, I think it was around Christmas time. And I was working in a Starbucks and I remembered I, I had, I was, I was doing Deathstroke for the new 52. Um, or I had just been fired off of Deathstroke. I can't remember. It all blurs together, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, you know, we had this just insane creative team. Um, I look back on now and just think, wow, like, it really was a murderer's row. Like we had, it was me, it was Joe Bennett, it was Art Tiber, and it was Jason Wright. And Joe had, in my opinion, never looked better than when Art was inking him. Like it just, we did eight issues together, seven. I think I think Joe needed to fill in. But, um, but still, that was our whole run, unfortunately. But we were all like, man, this is so much fun. Like do, doing big action, like we should do something else. And I remember thinking about it and, and having this idea about, kind of a new iteration on, on the concept of the, you know, the kind of immortal reincarnating warrior throughout time and then building it out from an archetype standpoint. And I remember going to meet up with a good friend of mine who is now killing it on his own. Um, but he hadn't, he hadn't done comics yet. Uh, Joe Henderson at the time he was a writer on white collar while Joe has gone on to do some pretty amazing things. He's the showrunner of Lucifer. He did um, he did Skyward with Lee Garbett, and now they they're doing the excellent Shadecraft series that's out. And so I remember meeting up with Joe for a drink because he was back in Illinois as well. And uh, I told him I was like, yeah, I just had this thing, this idea, and I, and I and I told him what it was. And I remember him telling me he's like, well, you know, if you had balls, your ending of issue one would be this. And I was like, that yeah, <laughs> that is pretty huge. Yeah. Um, it's not what I ended up doing, but the seed of it is something else for uh, later in the story. But then over time, like it, it just it wasn't going to work out with Joe uh, Bennett just schedule wise and what he wanted to end up ultimately pursuing. Um, and so then we moved on, and, and there was another art team that we that I that I worked with for a little while, and that didn't it didn't really go anywhere. And then there was another artist, and we did quite a bit of work but then my life fell apart and it had to go on hold for like a year and so when we came back to it a few years ago he was already he, he, you know he had moved on to some to some other things totally understandably and so that's when the the team that is now felipe frank clayton michael basudel and myself that's really when everything started to gel um and you know we're six issues in already um and, and it's just, it's, I'm, I'm having a, we're having a lot of fun. And the thing is like, normally it's weird. This, this is the one kind of idea I've had over the years that I haven't been able to let go of, even though it like kicked my butt for a long time in terms of trying to figure out how to do it. 
And it really, I think it really took doing something like Power Rangers of all things, and in particular Shattered Grid, and 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 actually building out a story that um, was a big kind of epic event right. that spanned multiple books. It was doing that and realizing, oh, I, I, I can do this. That's what really helped me get over the hump with Ordinary Gods as, gods as far as um, hopefully exploring the concept to its fullest potential because I, I'm, a, I'm very obsessive about that. I, I'm very kind of, I really pride myself on taking full advantage of a, of a concept. The promise of the premise is the, the saying I like to use a lot. And so the premise on Ordinary Gods is that we have these five immortal uh, warriors that are archetypes that we've kind of come to know uh, throughout, you know, popular fiction. So you've got like the leader, the brute, the prodigy, the trickster, the genius. And what we learn um, in issue one is that they have been imprisoned. The prison was what used to be a barren planet that has since been uh, called or known as earth, but the prison cells is life. And so, or, or our life, I'm not sure what the singular plural tense there, but yeah, um, yeah, these five have reincarnated hundreds and hundreds, thousands of times over the generations, and they are five of 13. And the remaining immortals, we get into what's going on there, but predominantly the story takes place on Earth as our main character, Christopher, is this 22-year-old um young fellow uh, in, in uh, Pennsylvania outside of Pittsburgh with, has a loving family and uh, he's in therapy and, and is going through something of a not existential crisis, but it's kind of the same stuff that we kind of all experience at one point or another in our kind of early adult lives where you're looking around at like the path laid out for you and what you're supposed to do. And, yeah, you know, I guess I'm supposed to work for 40 years and I saw yeah, retire to Florida. Yeah, exactly. And, and die. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, wow. Like, but the thing that keeps him going really is this, you know, you, you see the bond with his family in issue one and, and um, that's going to get up ended. Uh, I, I will, I will say that. So um, yeah, it, it turns <laughs> out he is, he is also um, presumably um, the leader of the five. And that means the different lives that he has led throughout the generation some have been recognizable figures which you could probably see on our issue one cover which is a really beautiful wraparound gatefold image that depicts different lives christopher has an association with and you know we had a jam session just again just a really killer lineup of artists that that were that i I just feel so lucky and grateful to have been able to work with you know we have dan panosian doing um dan panosian doing eric the red tula lote doing Cleopatra, Rod mm-hmm. Reese doing Abraham Lincoln, Dave Johnson doing Joseph Stalin, um, Nicola Scott doing Queen Elizabeth I, and then Declan Shalvey doing this big, uh, the samurai leader. And I always forget how to say this guy's name, so I'm not going to try. But um, but that is all put together and colored by Matt Wilson with with Felipe Watanabe, you know, my my co-creator and the series artist. He, he does the main Christopher image in the center. Um. And then we've also actually tiered those covers out as retailer exclusives, uh, and we partnered up with with seven different stores for those. So if you if you head over to blackmarket.la/slash/ordinarygods, um, maybe we can put a link in the show notes or something. You all yeah, the yeah. covers are there with links to purchase them when they go on sale on uh, Wednesday. Although some of them you can pre-order right now, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it Nobunaga? 
Is that the is that the samurai reference on the side or somebody else? It's I, um, I'm looking at the cover now and I'm like, who is that? No, it, it's no. Uh, Kusunoki uh, Masahi Masahagi. Oh, Masahai Masahai. Okay. Yeah, Masahai. Uh, got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, well, I told you I, I was it. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I wanted you to try to butcher it. I'm like, who is that now? Because I was looking at the cover again. I'm like, oh man, okay. Um, but yeah, all the all the different artists uh, kind of uh, depicting those those various lives. That you know, it's definitely a very striking wraparound cover for sure. And then of course the story inside is a treat as well. Um, when you were when you were looking for artistic partners to help bring ordinary gods to life, was there were there certain characteristics that were really important in the visual telling of this story? Like, were you looking around at, at work and like, oh man, I, I need to pull this person in on this project or this person? Like, like what were some of your, you know, I don't know if requirements are the right word, but things that you were looking for in, in, in bringing well, the story it's, to life? Basically? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a challenging book to find the right partner for um, because it's a book that requires an artist who can go really an artist who can do really big dynamic action as well as someone who can, um, can explore these quiet, more personal, um, scenes amongst a family at a dinner table and, and the kind of, you know, the familial politics that and dynamics that exist there and, and the nuance and subtlety of looks and expressions and reactions. And Meanwhile, that's all the earth stuff. Then we also have realm of the gods stuff and, and those, those territories, um, and world building out what each territory is and and the architectural style. And, and, um, and so, yeah, so, so that's a really, that's a really, um, that's a narrow, um, needle to try to thread as far as different, you know, styles that they're able to, to do. And so Felipe is someone that was introduced to me by um, a good friend of mine and an artistic uh, collaborator, uh, Eduardo Ferragato. And so Felipe did a few pages, you know, to just kind of sample and some character sketches. And it was pretty, pretty quickly evident. It was like, oh, yeah, this is this is an awesome fit. Like and, and you know, it, it, it affects how I write the story as well. You know, like I, I made adjustments then to the series going forward, just based on Felipe's style, but also what. It felt like he liked to draw and also, you know, was, was really good at drawing. Um, just so happens that all that stuff is really interesting to me. And I don't want to spoil what some of that is until you see it, but, um, until the book's out, but yeah, it's, um, it's been a really, really great natural fit. And I'm just, I'm thrilled that, um, I'm thrilled that we're finally able to, to get the book out there and people can see all the hard work we've put in on it. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to keep you cause I know again, you're a very, very busy guy. So, um, before I let you go though, I want to know what have you got on your pull list right now? What are some, yeah. some books that either you're reading now or that you would love to read if you had the time? You know what? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ridiculous behind on every, ridiculously behind on everything, but I will say this, um, Brian Bucciolato is one of my best friends. He just announced a new book called, uh, the chicken devil. And it's, uh, I think okay. it's, it's with Aftershock and I've read the first issue and it's, it's the best thing Brian's ever written. It's the best comic Brian's ever written. In my opinion, it's hysterical. It's like, I, I don't even know how quite how to describe it. It's kind of like Barry crossed with some, bla- some, uh, breaking bad with a superhero, like in a sort of Punisher stuff. Like it's, 
it's it, you just got to read it when you look at the cover yeah. you see it, it looks weird like in a really great way and i'm telling you it's it's exceptional um got it. but besides that i've actually been reading a lot of old stuff that i either missed or never read the full run of um so like last night and this morning i've actually been reading uh miracle man which i never read uh before and it's um I think, I mean, I was, I was aware and familiar with some of, with a lot of the concepts and um, kind of the gist of what that, the the book is or, or was. Um, but I think part of it was because of all the legal um, flux that was, that surrounded the character for so many years. I never really knew where to start um, or what issues to try to track down. Cause it, it, it appeared the stories the the original Alan Moore stuff was appearing in um oh what's the what's the magazine it was in a magazine first um and it might have only been available in the uk um but Maybe. that magazine was hmm. a british mag a british mag yeah yeah it's um shoot why am i not able to find this uh Warrior? Warrior, yes. Yeah, Warrior. Okay. Got it. It was originally coming out. <laughs> Thank through, you, Google. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was originally coming out through Warrior. And so uh anyway, so Marvel put all of it out again in 2014. And so I was able I've I've tracked down a bunch of that stuff. And so I'm I'm finally like I'm I'm through like I want to say like 12 issues of it. And God is it good. It's it's also crazy to see how many ideas are in it that other creators went on to explore with other characters, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm about to do, uh, I'm doing Dark Hawk right now for Marvel and reading, reading Miracle Man and, and seeing how the body swap works in Miracle Man. I was like, oh, that's, that's where they, that's where they pulled it from for Dark Hawk. Mm. Uh, I imagine, I, don't, I actually don't know. I've never asked that of anybody. So may, I might be totally wrong there, but I see, I you see, see influence. the influences from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like when you go back, and I had never read John Carter of Mars, or I guess it's just John Carter, right? Right. Was, yeah. Uh, or wait, no, John Carter was that, in the Disney ver version. The, yeah, John that's a Disney Mars movie. Is the Edward Rice, Edward Rice Burroughs uh, novels, and so I went and I, I saw that when it came out, and I, I quite enjoyed it, but I couldn't help feeling the whole time it was like, oh, this is it's so crazy because I feel like I've seen all this before, and then you have to remind yourself it's like. Yeah, because everybody was influenced by this, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I would say I would say Miracle Man, um, Stray Dogs was my favorite book thus far of 2021. Um, oh man, that book! <laughs> I couldn't handle it. Love it was that so series. Good. Yeah. So good. Um, nice House on the Lake has been amazing. Department of mm -hmm. Truth. Pretty much everything James does is on fire right now. Um, yeah. I'm not even I'm not even a horror guy, but the stuff he does is just, is, is so good. Um, and then the big one actually for me, um, is Declan Shalvey's, uh, time before time. I really, really love that book. The I thought the first two issues were exceptional. It's like, I haven't heard of that one. Who's, oh, who's yeah, putting it's, that out? It's, it's at image. Um, it's, it's an, image okay. yeah, it's an exceptional, uh, time travel series. Oh, so I'm in. It, it's very much, <laughs> you know, it's, I think looper was probably my most recent favorite time travel thing. And even that yeah. is what ten years old now, or something. Like I know that. time flies. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wow. Um, 
so uh, so this this is very much in that vein for me. It was just it's a crime story involving time travel, and I'm yeah, it's just it's great. I don't want to spoil anything else, but definitely okay. check it out. I will I will pick that up. Well. Kyle, thank you again so much for taking the time to chat. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Ordinary Gods hitting the shelves. Again, uh, based on the preview, uh, it looks like it's going to be amazing uh, and is everything that you touch. So uh, again, thank you so much for your time and uh, have a great day. Awesome. Take care, man. Thanks again. Just wanted to take a minute to thank Kyle Higgins for taking the time to speak with Jeremy today regarding his past work and upcoming work with Ordinary Gods. Be sure to check out his upcoming book that is out this Wednesday, Ordinary Gods, July 7th. Be sure to pick it up because it is something you will not want to miss. And as always, keep your friends close, but your comic books closer. Closer.